0: Good morning. We're in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. When is the uh, men's breakfast, Wayne? Were you paying attention? Next Saturday. Notice it's not the last Saturday of the month because the day after Christmas probably wouldn't work too well. So we're going to have it the week before. Next Saturday, 9 o'clock, and remember to bring a Somebody else you know for fellowship. John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The disciple said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just not seeking to stone you and are going there again. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the, this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, You would, uh, you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come up. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him, and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? he did not say this of his own accord but being him but being high priest that year he prophesied that jesus would die for the nations and not for the nation only but also to gather into one the children of god who scattered abroad so from that day on they made plans to him to put him to death jesus therefore Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and heart again and and let us hear what you have for us today. Father, just illuminate those things. Uh, in the message today that would help us to, to walk closer to you, to be more like you, and help us to be sensitive, Lord, to, to put this word into practice. And, Lord, I just also want to take a minute this morning and lift up our nation, Father, and, and ask that you would pour out your spirit. Lord, we are in desperate need of your presence we pray for wisdom for our leaders. Lord, we pray for the Prince of Peace to come. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings, for the prosperity that we've enjoyed, and, and we desire to see revival again in this land. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Well, if you remember, last week we talked about the idea of trusting the power of the Lord, um, but struggling with his purpose. And uh, so as we continue through John chapter 11, we'll finish it up today, and we see the purpose of God. The point that that John is laying out for us, obviously here, is that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, but that you would also know that God has a purpose. Now, when you think about God's purpose, I'm gonna give you another P word that you need to hold on to. Because it's not only about the power of God, his ability to do something, and that God has a purpose, but there is always a process. And when the Lord is moving and working, we have to learn to trust the process. There are things that God is working out of us. Now, I know a lot of times we think, well, we prayed and God didn't answer my prayer, but most of the time uh, I will say, unless there's some kind of iniquity or issue, and I don't wanna, I don't wanna talk about prayer too much, but the Bible says that that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. So if you're holding on to your sin, uh, you love your sin, God's not listening. But aside from that, turning aside from that, when you pray, he hears. Even more than that, you know Jesus, when he prays his prayer to raise Lazarus, he says, well, I thank you, Lord, that you always hear me. You know that the Bible declares that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father and He ever lives to make intercession for you. So even if our prayers are are a little lame, Jesus is praying to the Father for you. And the Father is answering. And the Father answers through his power, his purpose, and the process. And the process, every, we all, we live in a world right now, we just like to push a button and have what we want, right? I don't, I don't, I was probably, my generation was probably the beginning of that. But uh, now, the now generation, I don't know what y'all are called. I don't know, I don't even know what I'm, I'm the last of the baby boomers, I think. But, um. Whatever the generation is now, we're not. We, you folks, ain't used to not being able to get a hold of somebody. You can, you get angry because somebody didn't answer their phone. In the old days, you called their house. If nobody was home, that's just life. Here's another one you're not used to. You used to call and you get a busy signal. (laughs) Uh, 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 That's how it sounded. And if you called and got that signal, the person on the other side of the phone didn't have no idea you were calling. Oh, it's busy. Well, at least I know they're home. (laughs) Hang up the phone. Now, you couldn't go, you couldn't go, well, I'll I'll go somewhere and call them on my way. No, because back in those days, all phones were connected to a wall. (laughs) There was no phone in your pocket. They even had dials on them. I remember I'd be calling Kathy and I'd be in a hurry to call her and I'd try to make the dial turn faster. It didn't always work. Sometimes you got a number you weren't anticipating on that. We, we, in the old days, (laughs) we had to learn to wait. And the Lord wants us to understand that as well. Still today, God heard your prayer. God has the power to make it instant. But you will not grow and become what God wants you to be without the process. And sometimes the process is learning to wait. Wait on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I wonder why the Bible says that. Learning to wait on the Lord If you remember last time, Jesus finally arrives there at the home of Lazarus. We know Lazarus died the day that Mary and Martha sent the letter to Jesus. So Jesus waiting was for a different purpose. He waited so that the body would be in corruption. This is, as far as I know, this is the only reference of a resurrection where the body was already in corruption, meaning the body is already decomposing. Jesus waited and he said the purpose of this is not to death, but the purpose of this is for the glory of, the glory of God. That God is able to raise the dead. And there's so many things that we want to recognize and understand about that as we go. Now if you remember, Martha comes running out and she says something to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, you remember? My brother would not have died. And I told you that's a statement of faith. The faith is, Lord, if you're here, If you're here, my brother, she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, if Jesus was there and Lazarus was sick, Jesus would have healed him. But she doesn't think there's anything he can do now. You ever had a situation where you thought it was beyond God's ability to redeem? Beyond God's ability to restore? You ever had a relationship that you thought was dead? God is dead able to breathe life long past the date we say is the day of no return you ever had any of those i remember praying before lord i need you to deliver us usually it was about money we didn't have money for something a bill or something and so lord uh it's due (laughs) you know the 15th god can't be later than the 15th that i don't pray that way no more Because God wants to grow your faith, and he'll say, yeah, it can be later in the 15th, watch. And then, you know, it'd show up sometime later, and I still lived, and everything still worked out, you know, and, you know, the whole world didn't collapse like sometimes we think it's gonna. And the Lord says, no, no, don't don't put, I'm just gonna try to encourage you, when you pray, don't put dates down for God. Lord, you have to do this by... It's like challenging him. Lord, I bet you can't do this after this date. Oh, yeah. I created the world by just saying, let there be light, trust me. Yeah, we need to just hold fast, trust God, and we have to learn, right? We have to learn there's a purpose and God's got a process. And if you don't understand the process, then you need to look at the life of Christ because he bid us to come follow him, right? And the father always listened to him and always answered his prayer. But there was a process wasn't there because in a, in a couple of weeks we'll be looking at Gatchmone where Jesus prayed and the, the father heard. But there was a process, right? There, there was things that had to be. But Jesus shows us what to do in those cases. He trusts the father. That, he doesn't do that I don't believe he does that for any other reason than to to show us. Hey, look, my father has it. And, And he wants us to know he despairs too. Despair is not a sin. You ever read the Psalms? David despairs all the time. But he knows where his help comes from. And he trusts in the Lord. So Martha says, Lord, if you'd have been here, Jesus says, well, you know, your brother's gonna rise again. I think Jesus means in like 10 minutes. But she says, I know he'll rise in the last day. And then Jesus gives us that that fourth I am statement. You remember, I am the resurrection and the life. Nobody dies in me. Nobody dies in Christ. Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that you have already, you possess, all the blessings that God has on earth in Christ. Your election is in Christ. Your redemption is in Christ. Your forgiveness is in Christ. There's 14 blessings listed out, and all of them are located in Christ. Christ so when you are in Christ these things are all yours he says all the heavenly blessings all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places you have them already in Christ so Jesus is telling her hey I'm the resurrection I'm all the life you need now the scripture, we pick up the scripture just after this conversation. He asked her, do you believe? You, you saw what she said, right? I believe you are the Christ, your Messiah, the anointed one of God, the son of God. This is exactly the purpose for which John was written that people would believe. It says in John eleven twenty eight. 28, now when she had said this, she went and called her sister. You remember Mary was sitting still. Now, you will never find another time where Mary's not sitting at the feet of Jesus. But this time she wasn't. And I don't want to make too much of it. I don't want to make too little of it. I'm just saying, Mary was always where Jesus was until the day her brother died. And grief, she's not rebuked. The Lord doesn't rebuke her. But the Lord does tell Martha, hey, go get your sister. Because what she needs is in me, here, not in there. She was wrapped up in her grief and her sorrow. That Jesus knew what she needed. It's not to say there's not a time for grief. Certainly there is. But we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We mourn with our Savior. And so Jesus calls her. She went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she didn't wait. She rose quickly, and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but still was in the place where Martha had met him. So Martha heard he was coming. She ran out to him. Then she comes back. Jesus isn't in town yet. Still on the outskirts. And here comes Mary. Now it says, when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly to go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. You remember I told you there were people that came to weep and mourn, and, and they would receive uh, from the bounty of the family because they were willing to come and weep with them. And so they're there, uh, and they're weeping, and they see Mary get up, so they decide they're going to go with her. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That sounds familiar, right? Same words. We all felt that before. It is, right, a statement of faith. I trust your power. I trust your power. Power And so she falls at his feet and she says, if only you had been there. Now when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now that took like five English words to translate one Greek word. The the word for this deeply troubled sorrow is In Jesus' soul is the same word that they use to describe a horse that is frustrated and snorting. And so when it says he's deeply, and I don't mean to say that he was like angry or something, but this is the attitude. If you saw a horse uh, that was frustrated and snorting and you understand what's going on in the horse, And so, here they're saying, for Jesus, he's deeply moved, he's deeply affected, he is emotive, there are emotions that we see rising up within him, so he asks the question, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse, in the English Bible anyway, Jesus wept. I always wonder why. Was it because of the phrase, come and see? You know, when Jesus uh, was first approached by the, the disciples from John, they came to him and they said, where are you staying? You remember what Jesus said? Come and see. Come and see. Maybe, maybe the Bible tells us that there are three times that Jesus weeps. Three times, this one with, with Lazarus where he is here and the people are, are mourning and, and Jesus of course is deeply moved, disturbed or, or troubled in his spirit. He also wept over Jerusalem in Luke 19 as he's coming into the city. He stops in, at, at a place that overlooks the city and the Bible says when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept. He wept over his city. Hebrews five seven, when it's talking about Jesus at Gethsemane, it says, "In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save him from death." Jesus wasn't afraid to to cry. He cried at least three times that we know of, if you look at David, a man after god 's own heart, how many times did David cry? The well, psalms are full of of examples, and so are the the stories of his kingdom, of him crying of him of him being deeply moved and i don 't know why i don 't know when Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem was it just because, was it the unbelief that that he cries over, is it the the, the sorrow of just what life uh, filled with sin is like on this rock? I don't know. Was it all the mourners weeping and, and, and crying? The lack of hope uh, and despair on the people around the tomb of Lazarus? The Bible doesn't tell us. Probably a reason for that. You don't always have to have a reason to cry. Sometimes it just comes out. Sometimes you can't pack it in. I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, you'd have, you could have beat me with a whatever you wanted to. I wouldn't have cried. But the day I surrendered my soul to Christ, I've been a baby ever since. I, I cry at commercials sometimes. I, I cry when I read books. I cry. I'm crying all the time. cry. Lord, turn me into a giant crybaby. But it's one of the ways we see the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life. Because our desire is to isolate and make all these things around us hard. Right? What Pink Floyd said, it's everything, every problem in life is just another what? Don't, yeah, I was going to say, don't act like you guys don't know who Pink Floyd is. I'll make you show me your phone and I'll look at your playlist and see. So, but that was, the, what was the point? Because all the hurts and things in life, right? I'm just gonna build up a wall and I'm, I don't want to show emotion. I don't wanna let people in. I don't want them to know about what's, what's going on inside of me. But God knows all of those things deeply, doesn't he? Every person that he, he looked at, you and I, and God wants that down. He will pull down every stronghold in your life. Do yourself a favor. Don't be building strong towers that aren't him. Put our hope, our trust, everything that we are in him. Now, as Jesus cries, as he begins to weep, the Jews, these are the mourners who who have come to... uh, to encourage the family uh, through mourning. It says, the Jews said, see how he loved them? Oh, look. And so they interpret Jesus' tears. They're doing the same thing we are. What's he crying? He's crying because he loves him. Because he he misses Lazarus. That's probably the one thing I'm sure he wasn't crying over. Because we all know what's going to happen in a couple of minutes, right? He's crying. Look how much he loved him. But then listen to what they asked. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind, kept this man from dying. And if you've been walking with Christ very long, you have asked that question. In, I don't know the dates, so you remember when I tell stories, the, the details aren't important, right? In, in the 80, 88, something like that, when I was diagnosed with HIV, and uh, the Lord healed me. I'm still here. I don't have HIV anymore. Um, the people always ask, well, it was false test or false. Yeah. So I was going on a float, and I was headed into the Persian Gulf um, and so they, they do, everybody had to be tested for not just HIV. They get, they're getting, everybody's getting tested for all kinds of stuff to see who needs what, uh, immunizations and what kind of shots they could do. And so they take all the guys on the ship and they put all of them in one heap of, of blood drawn and that all goes into the lab. And on the whole place and the whole ship, there was one guy who popped positive. And he happened to be living a lifestyle that was at least conducive to the possibility of getting HIV. Wasn't everybody. And of all those people on the ship that could have tested positive, when I tested positive, the I, I go to uh, uh, Bethesda in Maryland and... Uh, I got to sit in a room with a bunch of other guys who had tested positive from various branches around the same time. And I watched every one of them die of AIDS. Sat in the room, just waiting for my turn. Everybody get sick. It was not all that different than how things are today. Oh, you just waited for them to get a cold. All they had to do was get sick. And then AIDS would make sure that that was it. Usually it would progress into pneumonia, and then they would be gone. There was nothing good about my life. I was not a good person. I was not a kind person. I wasn't just messed up, and I had a a... a really good heart this is not one of those stories oh he's just such a good person And such a bad thing happened no that's not I was a wretch the guys that found me in the Marine Corps who found me are, are still suffering from strokes that I'm a pastor they're still blown away and I can't tell you why God chose to heal me I don't know There's nothing I could offer. It's all his grace. And I was at uh, Calvary Chapel Redlands. After I got out of the Marine Corps, I go to Calvary Chapel Redlands, and me and Kathy were pretty sure, you know, I don't know of anybody else that has ever been healed of HIV. I don't know. Now, it doesn't mean they're not out there. I just don't know of anybody else. And so me and Kathy thought, well, the Lord's gonna use this, you know, maybe... Maybe we'll get on Oprah or something, and we tell our story. (laughs) We're so dumb. (laughs) So, anyways, we thought all these things. We're at Calvary Chapel Redlands, and at Calvary Chapel Redlands, there was this thing. I don't know if you guys can remember this far back, but if you go back to the beginning days of AIDS, nobody was giving AIDS any attention because the only people who were dying were were uh, IV drug users because they shared needles or gay men. These were the two that were suffering and to be honest, people just didn't care about them, I'm sorry to say. And then uh, HIV hit the blood banks. Well, whether that's accidental or on purpose, who knows? But at Calvary Chapel Redlands, there were two twin boys. I think they were like they were little. You remember? Eight younger than that. 8-year-old twin boys who were had to go in for a blood transfusion and they both got aids. And Calvary Chapel Redlands is praying for them, you know, deliver them. I'm praying for them. I would have traded any day. I'm nothing good. Eight-year-old ain't done that much bad yet, as far, far as I'm concerned. I'd done a, a lot worse. And I had my chance. I'd have been fine with God saying, yeah, Jackie, we can, we'll work a trade. I prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And God took those twins. They went to heaven. And I know personally, God is able To heal them. And I know because God did it to me. But I know God has a purpose. And that God working in and through our lives is often about a process that the Lord is working in us. And when I don't have the outcome that I want, I like Christ will say, your will be done, Lord. You know things I don't. But I had to learn that. It was a tough pill to swallow. And I know when I look at these situations and I see just like these Jewish guys that are looking at Jesus and they say, you know, couldn't the one who can heal the blind Couldn't the one who healed Jackie heal these eight-year-old boys? They ain't never done nothing. Yes, he can. He has the power. No, he didn't. Because he has a different purpose. Now, those boys are fine. They close their eyes here and open their eyes With Jesus throwing his arms around both of them, walking them to the Father and presenting them, those twins, before the Father, without spot, without blemish, perfect. That's what Jesus does. But everybody else was wrecked. And that was part of the process. And somewhere in that, we have to be able to make peace. That we trust God even if he's not Santa Claus. Even if he doesn't give me everything I want, the way I want it, when I want it, how I want it. I know he's able, but I trust him beyond his power, to his purpose, beyond even the purpose, and I trust in the process. However long it takes, Whatever God does, whatever the journey looks like, whatever it's for, it is all wrapped up in God doing a work. Do you believe in God still doing works? We're about to see one, right? Says, then Jesus deeply moved again. This is the same word about him being emotive, like a a horse, right, That's, that's freaking out. Jesus is deeply moved by the circumstance, by by death, by mourning, by sorrow, by pain. It's not that any of that stuff doesn't matter to him. Do you know that the psalmist says that Jesus, that God collects our tears because our tears, every tear you've ever cried mattered to God. Not because they don't matter, that it doesn't, you know, like he doesn't care about your issues. No, every tear you've ever cried, he caught and he keeps them. Every day, every moment, everything, the Lord is engaged in it. He he wants us to know that he sees even the sparrow, every sparrow that falls, he sees. And then the Lord says, how much more valuable are you? Than the sparrow he sees it all jesus is deeply moved he's moved in his soul he comes near the tomb the tombs there are caves right they're cut out in the rock they they put a stone they roll a stone across It's always been one of my one of my uh, i don't know things might sometimes my brain has weird ideas we'll go to israel and you go to the tomb jesus tomb and, and nobody knows where the stone is well, I'll tell you why. Uh, but yeah, it's it's probably in the atmosphere somewhere. Um, I think when Jesus opened that up, he's like, "There's no, nobody's ever closing that again." So if you go over to Jordan to uh, the top of this mountain where there was a fortress that uh, um, King Herod built, it's like Masada, only it's all rotted. And there on top of this mountain, on the other side of the Dead Sea, is a stone. Big stone, big, like just, and when I look at it, I go, that fit over that tomb. <laughs> but that tomb's a long ways away from here. When Jesus opened that tomb, I, I honestly, I think that rock is, in, is sand now. So they have a cave, they put a stone in front of the cave. The whole family would use the same cave. You left the body in there till it decomposed. When it completely decomposed, you went in with an ossuary, the ossuary, a small bone box, and you would collect usually the femur bone, not even necessarily all the bones. You collect the femur bone because you would say, well, with the femur bone, the Lord at the resurrection, he has enough parts to be able to put them all back together again. They put the femur in the ossuary, in the bone box, and they put that in the family crypt. And then the next person who died would get put back in the cave again. That cave, that was the purpose of the cave. So they have this cave and there's a big stone in front and what's Jesus say? Hey, move that stone out of the way. That stone's got to go. So Martha, immediately, because this is the kind of person Martha is, look, just in case you don't know, there's a lot of people here and It's been 100 degrees for four days. You really don't want us to open that. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. (laughs) I love how the Bible just makes things so nice. Yeah. In the King James, it says, uh, uh, but Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) I always liked that too. That's the point of corruption. Now listen, the psalmist, when the psalmist wrote, I think it's Psalm, is it 22 or 16? See? Old person moment. You guys look it up. It's a good exercise for you. I think it might be 16, like 16.4. Anyways, uh, the the psalmist writes, you will not allow your Holy One, which was the title of Messiah, you will not allow your Holy One to see Corruption, And the Bible says in, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus rose on the third day as Scripture said. And you go through Scripture and you're like, where does the Scripture say that Jesus would rise on the, on the third day? It doesn't say it. It just says 16 what? 1610. Ah, that's close. So the, 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 what, the, what the Scripture says is it will be before corruption. Remember I told you Jesus waited two days. He waited those two days on purpose. He died the first day. He waited two days. It would take him a day to travel. By the fourth day, the body is already corrupt, according to Jewish tradition. Four days, body's corrupt. So when the psalmist said you will not allow your holy one to seek corruption, it means he's got to rise before the fourth day, which we call day number <laughs> I just love when all the pieces of the Bible come together. I love it. Well, okay, so he says, "Roll away." She says, "Lord, he stinks. It's been 4 days." So Jesus said, "Did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God?" So they took away the stone. Now, listen, I don't want you guys to when they rolled that stone away, it stunk. And everybody who's there knows that everything in that cave right there is corrupt. There, there's, there's, this is totally, utterly, completely beyond all hope. This has never happened. So Jesus lifts up his eyes and he says a prayer. He says, Lord, Father, I thank you that you have heard me I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people listening. So Jesus is praying so that everyone else will know that the Father always hears the Son. And the Son is saying, Father, I'm praying this so that they will know and that they will believe you sent me. I want them to believe. I want them to know the power of God. I want them to see the purpose of God. I want them to understand the process of God so that they could put it all under the plan of God and know that this is all what God is working and rotting within them. And when he said these things, he cried out. Now this is the same cry he's going to use at the cross. And every movie I watch, they do it with this soft, weak voice. But Jesus, when he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, he said it so that everyone would hear it. It was not, it was not soft. He was not unable to, to speak the words that he wanted to say. In fact, he said it just like he said this, Lazarus, come forth. He shouted it. He shouted it. He spoke with authority and with power. And just like we've always seen from Genesis through Revelation, when the Lord speaks, it happens. Let there be light and light was. Lazarus come forth and Lazarus is coming forth. This is what is occurring The man who died came out. Now, this is where I want you to understand. That moment, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. The smell was gone. All corruption is gone. Now you have Lazarus wrapped up like a mummy, right, with hundreds of pounds of spices. You think when your wife makes you wear a Christmas sweater, it's itchy? He's wrapped up in all this cloth and all these spices. I'm telling you right now, if I don't know what his head looked like, if it's just covered, if it's wrapped, I don't know. But all I'm thinking Lazarus could think was get this stuff off me. Get this off me. Lazarus comes out bound, his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed. Isn't that a trip? Many. Why just many? Uh, I told you, this is not, Jesus was not, it was not, life was not normal when Jesus was here. People weren't normally having their sight Restored to them people lame weren't normally walking lepers were not normally cleansed the dead were not normally rising to life again When Jesus comes on the scene it is a radical It's like somebody put a neon sign up with arrows pointing at him like this dude this guy this this king of kings and lord of lords We need to be paying attention to and he raised a body that was corrupt that was rotting in the ground and many believed. Please know there is no man who needs evidence. Evidence is not what stops rebellion. Evidence does not stop rebellion. I'll tell you what stops rebellion: surrender. Surrender stops rebellion, evidence does not. Romans chapter one says that, that man, all man stands guilty before God. Why? Because he suppresses the truth. You can't suppress the truth if you don't know it's the, right? And it says, because what can be known of God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So that mankind is without excuse. Man loves his sin. Man loves his rebellion. And man holds to his rebellion even should the dead be raised. If the dead were raised, many will still believe. Many will come. They'll surrender. But there are always those whose rebellion is so strong. You guys know Christopher Hitchens? There's a documentary called Collision. I think you can watch it for free on YouTube, I think. But um, it is a pastor from Moscow, Idaho, Douglas Wilson. uh, And he traveled the United States, stopped in certain places, and they would do a debate every night about God. You know what Christopher Hitchens said in one of those debates? He said, I don't care if it's true. I will grant you everything, it all happened. But it does not matter one iota. I will not worship him. That's why men don't come to Jesus. It's not because they don't believe there's a God. It's not because of all the things people will say. It is because man loves his rebellion. He loves his sin. He doesn't want to trade it. Here's what the Bible declares. How is it that you come to Jesus? Repent. You turn from your sin and you turn to Christ. Turn from your sin, turn to Christ. Jesus commanded all men everywhere that they should repent and believe. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. That's what the scripture is is declaring. So this happens. Lazarus comes forth. They unwrap him. They do all of these things. And many believed. But look at verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees to tell them what Jesus had done. Those are the Christopher Hitchens. Those are the guys stuck in their rebellion. Listen. In Ezekiel three times, in Jeremiah a couple of times, uh, over and over again, in the prophets, the Lord declares that His His desire is to see men repent and live and this goes back to our original issue of trusting God's power trusting God's purpose and trusting in the process I would not have surrendered my life to Christ if I did not go down the road I went down And that road cost my wife a lot of pain. A lot of hurt. Lots of tears. When she gets to heaven, the tears that the Lord has for her, the jar that he had, probably fill rooms. And there were... Probably a lot of times during that time that she cried out to the Lord. Why? You could just speak and, and change everything. But God had a process. And the day I broke, I was in a single wide trailer in front of an ugly couch in an uglier house with ugly carpet and ugly everything, roaches everywhere. It was a marvelous time. And I knelt at that couch and I told God he could have whatever's left of my life. And the only way to that was the road God took me on. Now, I don't know what what was, you know, a lot of lives are, are, integrated right in our circumstances and our struggles and our pains and our hurts and i don't even know them all i don't know all the ones we're i just know the, i just know me and her but i know that coming through that i understand that there are things every part of that spider web or whatever you want to look at it as life touches so many other people and amidst all of those the Lord weaves his purpose. His purpose is good. To bring a man to the end of his rebellion. And I also know there was a moment, there was a moment in it all, where the crossroads sat in front of me. Which way are you going to go? I set before you life and death. Choose. It's almost like everything kind of just went dark for a moment. And when all the stuff was going on and they're telling me what's going on and what the plan was. And I'm thinking about all the things I'd done. And it's like all the lights just went down and, and I could, you know... Sense the Lord speaking. What are you going to do? So I just bowed a knee. There's no smart thing, smart choice. There's n- this, that's not that. It's I bowed the knee. I fell on my knees before God and acknowledge who I am. And the Lord said, if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. Now, I have for the most part trusted him completely ever since. Walking through that was like, you know, it it makes most other things seem small. They're not all small, but it it makes them feel that way. and, And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for being able to set aside the rebellion and turn to the Lord. But I want you to understand, why did I surrender? Because as a child, I was taught the scripture. And God's word will not return void. It will harden or it will soften. And when I came to that moment, I believed the word that I learned as a child, I believed the words that my parents taught me as I was growing up. All of that comes together in the saving of a soul. We have to trust him. We have to believe him. So in the rebellion, men run to destroy Christ, to discredit Christ, to bring him down. It says in verse 47, so the chief, <clears throat> chief priests and the Pharisees gathered to counsel and said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. It did never cross their mind to believe. Never crossed their mind to surrender. Now, I know some of them it did, right? Because we saw Nicodemus earlier, right? We know Joseph of Arimathea. We know that there are some, but by and large, right, never, never crosses their mind. Why? Jesus told us in John chapter five, you didn't believe the prophets. You didn't believe the times my father taught you. You didn't believe Moses, and so you don't believe me. The word of God will accomplish what it's sent to do. If the word of God is rejected, it will harden your heart like a stone. And that's what it did to the scribes and the Pharisees, even though they used it all the time. Their hearts were hard. No amount of evidence would turn it. They would not open their eyes, but remain blind. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, the year that Jesus died, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to him, You know nothing at all. Now, we know he's a Sadducee because he's rude. That's true. Sadducees all when we when we read their writings, they all talk down at people. They were rude. So you can always remember sad you see. Right? They are. Rude buggers. So look what he says. He yells at the whole council. You guys are idiots. You know nothing at all. Don't just read the Bible and not hear it. You know nothing at all. What else? Nor do you understand. You don't know anything. You don't understand. It is better that one man should die for the people. Well, you know the Bible says he prophesied. Because that's exactly what Christ did, right? He died for the people. Not that the whole nation would perish. Now, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad so that everyone who is in Christ is elect. Everyone who is in Christ is forgiven. Everyone who is in Christ is redeemed. Everyone who is in Christ has all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places, because it's all in Christ. Everyone together in one gathered in Christ. So from that day forward, they made plans to put him to death. That's the turning point. So therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. There he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. If you're wondering, yes, it's that Passover. This is the one. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. We're going to see the rest of John dealing with a really short period of of time, matter of days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up to the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So the Jews who are looking to kill him, they're looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? Is he gonna come? Is Jesus gonna show up? What do you think? How many times do we get into our whatever our heads and we think is jesus going to show up is jesus still with me is he still here is he still working is he still moving is he still praying for me is he still doing all the things that the bible said that he would be doing yes he never stops he never misses an appointment he's never late he arrives exactly when he wants to arrive And he stays till it's time to go. And when he leaves the job, it will be finished. What do you think? Will he come? Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. In other words, anybody doesn't tell them where Jesus is, they are complicit. That's going to matter later on when Jesus is arrested and everybody does what? Everybody runs. now the hunt the hunt for Jesus the time of his glorification it's all at hand and he is going to accomplish above and beyond anything you can ask or imagine and he still does it today he calls us to trust him Put your hope in him and know he is able to do whatever you need. Just trust. Trust he has power. He has purpose. But there is a process. And you need to walk the process through to arrive at the work God is doing in you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to study your word, to come together, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that your word would do exactly what Isaiah promises. You said the word of God will not return void. It will accomplish its purpose. The word of God will bring salvation or condemnation. You either respond and believe the word of God or you reject the word of God. One brings salvation, the other condemnation. One leads to surrender, humility, life, and life abundantly. One leads to pride, rebellion, rejection. So the Lord laid out before the children of Israel his elect. And he said, I set before you today blessing and cursing. Life and death. Choose life. And then for the next several hundred years, God watched. Some chose life, some chose death. The Word of God declares to us that God is able to save to the uttermost to accomplish a purpose within his people that we can't even begin to fathom Paul said this and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Lord God, we thank you that you still raise the dead and corrupt today we pray that by your spirit you would move through this place, accomplishing your purpose as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.